Hello and welcome to another episode of Biomass. This is episode 139. I want to thank you all for joining us, either through our recording or our stream on the website or on Twitch. Um, and as usual, if, if you are watching on Twitch, you will get to see some extra stuff that I'll be showing uh, during the stream. So without much further ado, we've got some uh, some returning guests here, so pretty exciting stuff. So let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sarizel. Uh Hi, I'm Sarizel. I'm a co-host here on the show. Um, I have a VR headset, I play Black Desert, I play uh, Overwatch, and uh, various other things. Alright, and Bait? Hey, what's up everybody, I'm Bait. I procrastinate, so therefore I am writing papers as we're doing this podcast, and uh, I don't play video. Solid. And Jay? Yep, uh, this is Jason, I am one of the resident gamers and the co-hosts here at, uh, at Biomast. I am one of the original old school gamers, uh, that's a shout out to a... Uh, Group of gamers from from way back. No kidding, that's the actual name. And I believe Pokey told me this is episode one thirty nine. So I'm fast running out of super, uh, my periodic table knowledge, but I believe that is one of the unsynthesized. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's a synthesis. It's a synthetic chemical element, and I believe it's called unitrinium. I think uh, I'll be darned if I can tell you what it does, though. Other than somebody thinks it's a thing. Uh, okay, so that's my geekdom for the day, and I'll get into that later. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking a little bit of uh, old-school gaming and some tabletopping later. Fantastic. And uh, Jess, Justin, coming back to us from Takaris, uh blog. What's, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? I am Justin. I'm managing editor over at Tecaris. I will apologize in advance. I'm battling kind of the leftover remnants of con crud mixed with whatever illness my wife had about a go. So if I can't talk here in a little bit or whatever, that's um, just here to talk about whatever you guys want to talk to me about. All right. Good to have you. And Libby. And Libby. Uh, I'm Libby. I do uh, lifestyle blogging. Um, this week, I am the human version of WebMD. Um, <laughs> for all my friends, uh, I just, I, I don't, you know, want to scare them with the cancer diagnosis, but, you know, it's That's been that kind lupus. of week. I learned that from now. <laughs> it's not lupus. It's not lupus. That's all you have to know. And uh, I am Pokey Traven. Obviously, I host here on the show. I write for the blog sometimes. And I, too, am also recovering from a cold. I, I couldn't barely speak last week, so I, I still have a bit of a cough this week. So if I uh, pause and, and cough away from the mic, that's that's what's going on. So I do apologize for any, any extra noise you might hear. Uh, but yeah, so lots of stuff going on. Um, obviously, we had CES last week, and uh, Justin was there, from my understanding, and he got some hands-on experience with with the stuff that was going on there. So, Justin, you want to tell us about your what, what you saw, what you thought was cool at CES while you were over there? Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I was at CES. That was the con from which the con crud originated. Um, it's I, the show. Obviously, it's a lot of fun. It's cool to see some of the new things that are going on in tech. Uh, a lot of times, more often than not, you see kind of the same kinds of things in various different uh, capacities and the ways that people are implementing them. This year was by far the year of Alexa. Um, Amazon Alexa is going to be built into damn near everything here in the very near future. So I'm comfortable with Alexa. That's great for you. Uh, I actually got my first Alexa device at CES, so I've had a chance to kind of mess around and play with it. And uh, it, it's going to be in everything here in, in the very near future. Um, I uh, apologize I wasn't able to make it on last week. Um, Sarai actually sent me, I think, five or six messages over three different varieties of uh chat he's pretty needy <laughs> to, to see if i'd be able to make it on but no he, he was excited i mean I, he he actually 
sent me a message about the uh, HTC Vive event or the the Vive announcements that uh, that they had made at CES. Uh, literally minutes before I was getting ready to head over to an HTC Vive event to kind of see some of the new uh, announcements that they had made. So he was, uh, again, he, he was excited. Um, so I did get to get my hands on some of the new uh, Vive tracking and uh, that kind of thing and see some of the stuff that uh, some of the devs that they were working with have been doing. Um, and really, I've, I've mentioned last time I was on here that Vive kind of has a pretty pretty amazing head start over really everybody else in the VR space from everything that I can see. And this does nothing to change that. This certainly just um, you know, adds adds to that, builds on their lead. Um, I believe you kind of talked about some of that stuff last week uh, from what Soraya was telling me. Um, but getting to actually play with some of it, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> the uh, event that I went to, it was in kind of a smaller ballroom. They had, uh, God, I think about 12 Vives set up. Um, with the various devs that actually made the uh, apps that they were running there to be able to talk to. Uh, I was only able to talk to a couple. A couple of them was only able to really try a couple of them because they it was it was a pretty busy event. But um, the a couple of the, that we tried, there was one where uh, they had the tracker on a like a like a gun like a rifle, and they actually had also a uh, like a vest that you could put on that would you know, give you haptic feedback, like as you were getting shot or stuff like that. And, you know, it let you, you know, zoom and aim obviously with the rifle and it was able to use you know, the, the tracker to tell where the rifle was in the space. Um, you obviously, as you could do with Vive, could duck out of the way and, you know, get out of the way of oncoming shots. And then you would line up your shot and, you know, try and shoot robots in the face. Uh, so fun stuff like that. Um, one of our writers got to do a, uh, like a demonstration of like firefighter basically so uh the guy had you know the hose and everything had you know had the coat just mainly for show but you know, you'd put the coat on you'd you know pick up the fire hose and then you would uh try and put out you know a small house fire um so the tracker on the front of the hose again allowed the vive to know where that was in the space and you know, interact with everything that uh that was going on some of the i mean really cooler implementations of all of that there was, and I didn't get to try this because it was I mean, it was packed the whole time that I was there, but I could at least kind of see it from far away. Um, there was one where the tracker on like a smaller little gun and then a mount for a cell phone allowed for a player two, basically, uh, in, the, in the VR without having a second headset. Basically, the uh, phone mount let you put your phone on there. The phone would then run an app or you know, something would um, you know, show you the world of the game. And then the tracker, obviously, as I've said a couple of times, you know, kept <laughs> kept track of where where you were in the space. So you know, the, the player with the headset on was able to you know see you in the game, or at least see where you were in the game. And then the second player was able to interact and you know have uh, jump in on the game and kind of play with a lot of that stuff too. Uh, they also had, oh gosh, let's see, they had a like a baseball. Uh, demo where you know the, the tracker was on the bat so again you you were taking pitches and you your swing of the bat was what would you know, allow the uh you know the the bat it would, it would show that where the bat was in relation to everything else and you know you could you know, try and hit the ball and and go from there um couple others and there a, a lot of them obviously were kind of gun related just because it's really easy to put the tracker on the end of a gun and then kind of add that into the vr experience um the one that uh, I think caught people by surprise, and I didn't get to try this one myself, but um, there was a demo where you were kind of like stepping out onto 
you know, the edge of a building to try and rescue a cat or something like that. But they tricked you because as soon as you got out to the edge, you basically fell off and you see yourself, you know, falling in VR rather than you rescuing the cat. But um, yeah, they, they're doing some really cool stuff with VR. They're definitely, like I said, they, they at least to me seem just head and shoulders above what anybody else is doing with VR right now, at least as it relates to um, gaming and that kind of thing. And they, I, I just love seeing what they're doing and have loved having the chance to try them out. So, w- would you say that the the accessories were like a a vast improvement over, you know, just say holding the controller? Because I I mean the thing that I noticed was that I played a game where they mapped kind of mapped the gun to the normal Vive controller, which does have a trigger and a handle. Um, did was there like a big difference or, or do you, um I don't know if you have any a lot of experience with with testing different things with it, but um because the biggest thing that I always I I think back to is uh some of the the really dumb Wii accessories that that I have. I have like ones where they literally just stick like a tennis racket on the end of a of a um on the end of a Wii and it does nothing in the game. It's just you know purely cosmetic. Did it did it make a, really a difference in the immersion? I would say that yeah, actually, I mean it did just from the standpoint that you know last year at CES actually when I got to try Vive, I you know saw where you're obviously holding the vive controllers but in the game it you know looks if you look at your hands it looks like you're or whatever here you're actually you know holding either the rifle or the gun or the baseball bat or you know whatever they have the the tracker attached to so you know unlike with your, your example of the wii accessories you can put the tracker on just about anything really and then rather than having just a a tennis racket that you know works in game you just put the tracker on the tennis racket and then you know it'll work in game. So it, it does certainly add to the immersion. It does kind of add to the realism because there, there's obviously a difference between, you know, holding an actual baseball bat or, you know, holding a Vive remote or holding the Wii remote or holding, you know, anything else that is trying to equate itself to be a baseball. So there is certainly difference. And, you know, at least to me, the, you know, the chances that I got to mess with it, it, it did make a difference and it did seem certainly more real and more, you know, more immersive. Okay, cool. And the 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 haptic feedback vest did did you get to try that? Did you get shot? Yeah, it it basically would rumble if uh you know, as as you were getting shot or if you would get hit. So it wasn't the one that I had on wasn't you know crazy. Yeah, it's not didn't feel like you were getting shot really, but there was there was definite vibration and it, it lets you know that something was going on outside of you know, just hearing like an alarm or you know seeing your health bar go down or something like. That. Okay. Was it just like was it a notable like vibrator pocket or? I, I would say it was probably closer to like the phone vibrating because you know they they're not going to have something where you know they're going to risk breaking ribs or doing anything crazy like that. But because I mean, <laughs> I I mean I don't have any personal experience, but it doesn't sound like. It, it, what I imagine feeling getting shot feels like. So, <laughs> no, and I can't imagine that any of us would necessarily want to know what getting shot feels like, especially not if we're trying to, you know, a game. But yeah, you know, they, oh, they at least wanted to add to the experience and kind of give it of a sensation that you know was more than you know what you would get. Dude, that must have freaking vibrated. <laughs> I, it was it, it was it was definitely interesting. I mean, again, it's not a super strong vibration, so it wasn't something that you know, really caught me too much off guard. I mean, I knew I was putting the vest on and thing, so it wasn't, you know, like, oh, well, what's going on? I don't understand this. But, you know, it was, it was, I mean, it was cool. It was something that definitely added the experience version. So the, uh, another thing that caught my, was the one where you grabbed the hose and did you use the vest for, to like feedback? Uh, in that instance, no. Again, there, there were different booths set up where the, 
you know, the devs that had been working on their demos had whatever they had set up. And I mean, the guy did have, you know, a fire coat that you could put on, but I think that was actually just his fire coat and he used it more as just kind oh. of a, <laughs> kind of a, Hey, put this on just cause you know, you're pretending to be a fireman. So you might as well, you know, play, play the whole part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I actually, I watched uh, Kyle, one of our other writers do that. And, you know, as you moved around with the hose, you know, it would adjust where you were spraying. So yeah, it, it didn't have any sort of feedback, but you know, there, the guy at least was trying to make his demo seem a little bit more authentic with you know, the coat. And everything. Now, is that just like, was that just like the nozzle of a fire hose that you hold up or was there like a big giant heavy hose draped off the back? He actually had the hose in a, uh, in a roll with the nozzle and everything. But again, that's, oh. that's just what, uh, what he brought along. Yeah. I, I don't think, I, I don't imagine that many people will like buy a fire hose to go with it. I have a, <laughs> I have a feeling that if somebody's playing their game, they're going to have the, uh, the plastic Wiimote version of a fire nozzle. Yeah. Mo- most likely in that instance. Yeah. And, uh, no, you gotta go full on, get a whole back. The hose comes sick. <laughs> It seems yeah. to me that the, the yeah. industry is pushing a lot more towards kind of giving additional peripherals to, to increase that level of immersion. Is that kind of the feel you got from the, the convention while you were there? Specifically, is it related to v, uh, Vive? God, I say, I say that wrong every time, like no matter what. I have to consciously stop trying to say it right, and I still screw it up. Um, relating to that, I mean, they are trying to allow you to I mean, do kind of more whatever you want with it. I mean, the tracker is, I mean, it's not, completely unobtrusive or small but it's small enough that you know you really would be able to to attach it to you know a pretty wide variety of things that will you know help add to you know the experience but it's not something where you know like jake was mentioning earlier with the uh the wii remotes or soraya sorry um where you know they just give you a plastic uh tennis racket that you slip your wii remote into and that doesn't really add a ton to the experience at all i, I think this is more of a way to you know let you you know work things that you already have or things that are more readily available into you know the game to make it immersive. Big is that little bit like your size? The tracker is is more I would say coaster size. I mean it's probably the base is you know a couple inches in diameter and then it does kind of come up and out a little bit into the the three kind of claws. Um so it's it's maybe sorry it looks like about the size of an ashtray. Yeah it's I, I would say an ashtray okay. would probably be a log for it. It's probably about roughly that size. No, not horribly. I mean, again, it's not it's not, you know, like a poker chip getting stuck to something, but it's not, you know, like a can of beans. It's 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 so just kind of flashing forward into the future based on what you've seen. And, and I mean, we've talked about this on two or three different episodes uh, at length, just VR in general. But if you were going to flash forward like, you know, 12 months, what would you say? Like the uh, the holiday season, like you know the the December offerings would look like. Do you are you do you think we're going to see a noticeable uptick in VR products, VR games, and and uh, peripherals and things like that by the time next Christmas rolls around? Most likely, but I think what you're probably going to end up seeing by that point are going to be kind of the lower ends, you know, something more akin to Google Cardboards or you know not not quite to the Gear VR level of things, but certainly not uh, the higher end stuff like Vive or Oculus. Um, there were a ton of VR sorts of things at CES, but again, more of them skewed towards the you know like twenty to fifty dollar kind of you know, thing that you just put your phone in, you know, give you a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, that's that's that is definitely one of the. Um kind of the key points that we've mulled around, you know, for about the last six or eight months when we, when VR really started to, uh, 
to, to kind of bubble up at the different cons and, you know, different articles and things like that was how do you get it to a point where it's accessible enough that it will truly penetrate and saturate the market space? Uh, and that was one of the interesting things I was, uh, I was kind of taking a look, taking a look at is at what point do we get to, uh, it's as accessible as like a PlayStation or an Xbox without truly uh, breaking the bank for sort of the average, uh, you know, average kid or really his parents that would go out and buy the system for him. True. And really, I mean, that's, that's not going to happen with the five or the Oculus. I mean, yeah, absolutely not. not. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and getting more of the, the lower priced things out there is, is going to help saturate that more. I mean, shoot my, brother-in-law got a little vr headset for christmas from uh from his aunt and uncle so you know nothing that's going to be all that fancy or nothing that you know is going to certainly have the same experience of an oculus or a vr but you know just getting people more familiar with it seeing you know kind of what it can do will allow them to see it get excited about it and then maybe sometime down the line they'll say oh wait a minute this is something else that i could do with this and then you know maybe they look more at the vive or the oculus and then see you know what vr really can do Yep. No, that's that sounds pretty accurate, man. Hey, did they say how much those little trackers were going to cost? Oh crap! They, I, uh, no, I can't remember. I believe they did, but off the top of my head, I can't remember what it was. I'll see if I can get it though. Yeah, there there wasn't anything online that I could find on on the price point for that either. But it's it's you know it's interesting to see kind of how this is progressing and how quickly it's moving forward. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, strapping an ashtray is something that's still a little clunky, but they're obviously it's working prototype. It seems like it's working pretty well. Um, so it'll be cool to see, you know, as they, you know, refine this technology and, and streamline it and, and how how well it's going to work out. And I think that, you know, kind of like what Jason was talking about, you're, you're not going to see this in the mass market anytime soon. It's just the price point's just not there. It's, it's way, way too high. But it, it is an interesting proof of concept. And, and often development kind of happens at a very high level like this. And, and that is certainly valuable. It may not be accessible to, to most people for, for quite some time, but it does kind of help, you know, streamline and bring the price down. And by the time it does kind of hit, you know, the main market, it's, it's going to be really cool and, and sleek. And I think that's, it's going to be a good thing for gaming, not only because, you know, the games are cool. I mean, it's fun to, to, to have a fire hose and put out a fire, but I think there's a lot of other very, very useful things that, that VR, especially very immersive VR with these different peripherals, um, that, that can be used in a way which is beneficial that's beyond just gaming. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of where this goes and, and how people use it moving forward because it, it is a very cool technology and I, I, I'm just very excited for, for what they, they do with it moving forward. Absolutely. And really, as it gets into more people's hands and people can see what it do, that's can see what it can do. Yeah, that's going to be helpful. I mean, I, I have been trying to show off Google, who I know is Soraya's favorite company in the world, um, partnered with Queen to make a uh, Bohemian Rhapsody VR app that really just you know does you know, goes through the Bohemian Rhapsody song and kind of has animation and you know, the, the way they put it together is honestly really cool and you know my wife and my brother-in-law and I are all kind of you know queen junkies so I was showing it to them showing it to other people just saying like you know hey look you know just plays on Google Cardboard just you know look watch this video you can move your head around and see the various different aspects of you know of the video it goes in 360 degrees so just you know look wherever you want and check this out and again stuff it's going to be stuff like that that really i think gets people interested and excited about vr because i mean yeah plenty of people play games but the people that are going to play games on it are the people that aren't going to have a problem you going out and spending you know 600 bucks on you know vive or an oculus so what they really do is get again those people aren't you know aren't playing games and aren't going to 
be interested in going out and buying those headsets to really see what VR is capable of outside of gaming. So, Justin, I do uh, just one last question on this because you mentioned it. By the way, the, the Queen app sounds really killer. No pun intended. But, it, but it, at any point during that ad, did you see Kanye West get housed by Freddie Mercury? <laughs> uh, no, there, there were no no Kanye sightings in the Queen app. But yeah, you can just pull it up. You can uh, grab it on Google Play. Uh, it's just uh, it's called Queen Rhapsody or something like that. It's it's just a Queen app and be more than happy to, to point you at it. And you can you know, watch it on your Google Cardboard or I think you can just watch it without, if you want, just moving your phone around. But it's it's honestly really... And they, they worked with... Um, Brian May to kind of get an idea of you know, some of you know, Freddie's sketches and stuff like that, and kind of worked a lot of the kind of you know ideas and a lot of the, just the the feeling of the song and, and that kind of into this VR experience, and it really is very. It's pretty good, man. Definitely gonna have to check That's that out. Solid. So I have heard rumors of HTC coming out with um, a Vive branded or a Vive branded phone. Have you heard anything about that? I know I saw it somewhere. I haven't seen a lot about it. They didn't show anything like that off at CES, so I didn't see anything firsthand about that. Yeah, it was just, I saw some image of it that was like, something like that they were skimming over parts and stuff in some promo video and that someone like zoomed in is like, that's a Vive branded phone. Um, but yeah, so so nothing mobile from HTC yet. That they, Despite them being a phone company, it's kind of odd that they haven't tackled the mobile VR at all yet. Well, they, they've also kind of said that they're going to step back a little in releasing phones this year, from what I've seen. They've you know, kind of cut back on that a little bit, so maybe they're cutting back to dive in more to that. Who knows? Yeah, and honestly, um, um, and, uh, just saying that, Zell, honestly, with my experiences with the Gear VR, the Samsung version, it's very cool, and it's a great way to, to kind of, kind of like what Justin was talking about, show it off to people who aren't really into the gaming scene, but, you know, you kind of want to expose them to VR. It's great for that. But the, the phones just aren't quite there yet, I don't think. You you have a lot of battery issues. They overheat really easily. Like, I'm, you're, you pretty much have to be plugged in to really use it in any normal capacity. Otherwise, the battery goes dead in, you know, less than 15 minutes, pretty much. And it, it tends to overheat a lot. So... You know, I, I could see HTC definitely going that direction, but I think it, it kind of comes down to a matter of they need to optimize the phones <clears throat> to work for VR a bit better just because of, of how intensive the, the, the phone is, the VR is on a phone. It, it's almost like just because it can run, it doesn't mean it's actually running it well. And I think Samsung just jumped on it because they saw an opportunity to kind of get in there as being the first, you know, VR-enabled phone, which is, which is great, but... I don't think it's quite there yet, and I think that if HTC kind of wants to hold the same level of experience that they're trying to, you know, show with the Vive, that they're they, and this does make sense that they're holding off on phones this year to kind of wait and and let things catch up to get to a point where they can deliver that kind of experience with a new brand of phone for a VR headset using that kind of that that uh, setup with like the phone inside the the headset. So it, that's just kind of my thoughts. I'm thinking that they could be holding off and waiting for things to kind of improve a bit more and help deal with the battery issue, deal with the overheating, that sort of thing. And, and we will probably see more of it um, in the future, especially like we said, it's a phone company. It only makes sense they would do it. Um, but yeah, that's just my thoughts on it. I'm sorry, Ben, I cut you off. And, and your mic's a little low if you want to kind of boost that up. Yeah, yeah, no, my bad. I uh, I grabbed another. That's a lot better. Okay, cool, cool. Professionalism, guys. Uh, no, I was just saying that you know, I just right now I, I don't see the 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 benefit of an eight and five 
the Amazon phone. Okay. Um, well, I, I will say that as far as Christmas parties went, the, the like little $20 cardboard clone VR headsets that are made out of plastic fear phone, those things were all the rage this year as, as the, uh, the, the white elephant gift, like desired item that got like people got stolen over and over and, and hunted down. It was, it was kind of fun. Um, but so uh, the the other news update um, that I thought was kind of crazy was um, those those uh, crazy triple screen laptops that I made fun of uh, last week. Uh, apparently, they were stolen from CES, um, and they it was two two of those. And I guess another booth that was doing like some in car setups had all their prototypes stolen as well. Yeah, they they did. I ended up. I wrote up both of those, and that was that was crazy. And I, I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I had kind of a, an original, kind of cheeky, tongue-in-cheek, just silly way of writing up bits of the razor uh, theft because I did actually stop by Razor on Saturday. Um, so I was, you know, explaining my innocence and how it couldn't, and all that kind of thing. But that got uh, that got taken out in editing. Um, but yeah, they uh, they did end up having a couple of prototypes taken from their press room, which would have been keeping an eye on the people that were going in and out of there. But the other side of that is that you know the the other company that had stuff stolen had stuff stolen after the show was actually over. Yeah. So that they came in the night after the show had closed, and whoever it was, you know, ripped off just the, the prototypes from there. So I, it's a big show. There's a ton of people there. I can't imagine that these are the first instances of stuff getting stolen but you know it just sucks i mean you're going there to see what's new in tech you should you know, enjoy seeing it and then you, know, you go home and then write about it. you're not supposed to be stealing it well i actually you know the thing was is when i first read the uh the facebook po- comment um i i initially thought like when someone said you know you know when the the ceo said industrial espionage is a thought i thought that's crazy. Nobody steals prototype hardware from conferences these days to clone it. But the more I thought about it, um, you know, there's there's actually been a lot of um, there's been a lot of instances of of Chinese companies that have been um, you know cited by the uh, United States and for uh, corporate espionage. There was actually a story a couple years ago about like a wave power generation company in the UK where like the the vice premier of of China wanted like it was the only pl- place they wanted to visit outside of london on their uk trip and they were very interested and then like a couple weeks later they had laptops stolen and then like a year after that there was like a chinese prototype of the same thing out there and i, I there's been a lot more chinese companies and consumer electronics that have been making their way to ces and across you know just out in the open market and i i kind of wonder if that's kind of the in thing these days well, China did definitely have a large presence at CES, which you know, in and of itself isn't anything to be alarmed or concerned by. But I do believe I saw a follow-up to the Razer story that you know those at least one of those laptops did show up for sale on a uh, Chinese site, so that there could be. Well, yeah, because we if you stole it for espionage purposes, you wouldn't you wouldn't list it for sale then, though. So that's odd. But it's yeah, it's that, that was one of those things that I was trying to think like you you wouldn't steal it to use it because. You know, a lot. The whole point of a laptop is to be portable, and you go anywhere with a triple screen laptop, and somebody's gonna notice you're there. <laughs> yeah, that, that thing sticks out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's not exactly something you can use covertly, um, and it's it's uh, one of those things. Again, you try and list it for sale at a pawn shop or something. It's it's a it's a hot item. It's gonna be everyone's gonna be like, "What is this?" They're gonna look it up and they're gonna, "Oh, this is stolen." Yeah, pretty much. You you would think it would be sorry, man. Go ahead. 
Yeah, and, and a lot of people want to say like, oh, well, there's there's got to be cameras all over the place. And if you haven't been to CES, you don't understand just how huge it's, it is. It's a mass of people. <laughs> there's there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 170 thousand people in Vegas for the show, and you know, just the showrooms themselves are giant. I mean, from I, I live in the Chicago area, so you know, like the the closest thing to it by us is McCormick Place. They have a convention center. And, you know, like the auto show is there and stuff like that. Like the entirety of the auto show would fit into about one quarter of South Hall at the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Convention Center. So, you know, it, it's just, it's giant. So I'm sure there are cameras, but there's just I mean, no way that they'd be able to see anything or everything, I should say. You know, unless like each booth kind of you know, had their own security and their own cameras, which, you know, after stuff like that happened this year, they might. I... So what was... Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, with how thick the uh, the uh, Project Valerie laptops had to be to begin with, I, I have to wonder if next year it's just gonna be popular to put GPS tracking devices in all, in all their prototypes. You would think that that would be standard, though, right? I, I would think that they would be doing something to you know protect their prototypes, whether it be cameras or some sort of tracking on there. But yeah, again, a lot of a lot of these companies. I mean, Razer certainly not. They've they've got the cash to be able to do stuff like that. But you know, a lot of these companies don't necessarily have that kind of the kind of backing behind them to be able to do that. They just want to go and you know show off what they're doing and you hope that people aren't going to be jerks. People are jerks though. That's that's like a, a fundamental truth of, of real life. Well, yeah, but we like to hope that people won't be. Real quick, yeah, do we that's know important. That, do you know what that car thing was that they what was that about? Oh, the car things were just uh, aftermarket units. It was a company that did uh, like audio and video head units. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. People, people just walk off the stuff. It, it's it's pretty shitty that you can't go there and have some mutual trust. But you know, that's that's what happens, unfortunately. Um, moving along, do you guys want to talk a bit about the flurry of Nintendo Switch trailers that came out uh, this week? And it, it was pretty crazy that they, Nintendo wouldn't come kind of nuts with. Yes, I, I would like to talk about. Yeah, that. Talk about yeah. That. So we'll we'll start with the big one because I, I know that uh, <clears throat> Zell is, is chomping at the bit, and I'm I'm pretty hyped up for it now. So once you uh, switch, Legend of right? Zelda, once you switch, yeah. that was that yeah that was a bunch of mini games. Yeah, I'm, I'm not Kidding. so sure about Sorry. that one. Sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah, and then oh yeah, here yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the Zelda trailer was like holy shit, like. Uh, I'll, I'll let you kind of start, Zell, with, with your thoughts on that new Zelda trailer. That I, came I out. honestly, I haven't seen the trailer. I just, it's right. what I know. Ser- but seriously, no. you're killing Stop me. Lightly. Go, go, take like five minutes right now. Like, ignore us for a couple minutes and go watch it. Here's the thing. I, when it comes to a Zelda title, I know that I'm going to buy it, and it doesn't like. I don't need to see a trailer. Uh, to know that I have to have it already. To have it but already. there's voice acting and it's good. <laughs> it's like Zelda Skyrim, bro. It's legit. Yeah, no, no that, that's actually a really good way to put it. it, it the, the, Nintendo has, has really kind of gone insane with this one. Like, it it really kind of has that that Skyrim feel where, you know, the, the, the opening kind of pans up and it's, it's Link standing on a rock and it, it pans across this field and it goes on forever. And it, you know, the implication is that you can, you can go there and they've talked quite in depth about the, the scale of this world. And it, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing and how good it looks, um, how big it is. It's got that very distinctive Zelda feel. It, it has a bit of a like wind waker feel to it, but a little more realistic kind of slightly cel shaded slightly, you know, they're going for more realistic look. 
Um, but this trailer, man, like it's it's just epic. Like it, in you're right, Sal. I mean, the Zelda game is a Zelda game. You you kind of know what to expect. But just the way that they've presented everything is it. it it really, really is is well beyond anything that I would normally expect um, for them to put out. And it, I am hyped beyond reason at this point. Like I, I was like, yeah, Switch, it's going to be cool. It's going to have a new Zelda game. It's going to be open world. That's cool. Now I'm like, holy crap! Like this is beyond awesome looking. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That trailer gave me goosebumps. I will. I will actually probably be playing it on the Wii U first um, because I do have a pre order for the Wii U version of. Uh, Breath of the Wild, and um, let's be honest, I, I have a feeling this is going to suffer a bit from the Wii syndrome. Um, if you remember, when Nintendo consoles takes t- come out, it's generally a little hard to get a hold of one. Um, so I, I have a feeling it's going to be really hard to get a hold of a Switch when it comes out. I mean, heck, the freaking NES Classic thing is still 200 and some odd dollars to buy it. Because they, you know, they they cannot afford to meet, they can't meet the demand at the sixty dollars price point. Well, Reggie has said that the Switch is not going to suffer from the same uh, supply issues that the NES Classic did. So, I mean, we're going to, have to just take him at his word for now. But he has said that they plan to be. Can you pre-order? Oh yeah. Yeah, Amazon stopped taking pre-orders though. Already? Oh, did they really? Like walk the GameStop, or did they stop too? Yeah, you you could get it at GameStop there. I'm sure. Yeah. They, sure. They, they were always willing to to have you have you give them money ahead of time before they oh, actually yeah. the even, even if they don't have a system for you, they'll let you pre. <laughs> yeah, but you know this this one is this is you know just mind blowing. I'm actually amazed you haven't seen it yet. So you you really should go take a look at it. It's it's it looks incredible. I'm I'm very hyped for it. Um, and that's coming out on. Uh, March third this year, actually. So that's that's yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll right, be it, watching this one a little it's more. It's a launch and, title, and, uh, and it it had to be a launch title. It just had to be at this point. Well, that's been yeah. well, that's been Nintendo's big problem is the uh, well. If you think about it, the new Zelda game was supposed to be like this was supposed to be for the Wii U. Yeah. I mean, it got delayed so many times. It got the Wii U got really thrashed because it didn't have anything. And they'd been indicating that there would be, you know, a mainstream Zelda title for the Wii U pretty, pretty soon, you know, after it came out. And you just got nothing. And that, that unfortunately has kind of always been Nintendo's problem. I and mean, their first party games are incredible and you really pretty much have to play them, but they come around so infrequently. I mean, I was watching the, you know, the event the other night and you know, like they, you know, Mario pops up. I was like, oh, that Mario trailer looks awesome. I was like, oh, it's not going to be available at launch. Surprise, surprise. Like, oh, that game looks amazing. Oh, that's not available to watch either. Fantastic. That's just kind of the way that it goes with Nintendo. Is they, they they're gonna have amazing games, but you're just gonna have to kind of. And and that's usually why I haven't I've stopped jumping on the, the the hardware as soon as it comes out because it's like, well, yeah, I can get it, but I'll have like one maybe two games I actually want to play on it, and I'll be waiting six months for something else. And it's like I'm not gonna put myself through hell trying to get the hardware day one. I'll just wait, maybe get a Christmas special the next year, something like that, when they've got a bit of a better library. And it's done me well um, so far. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm hyped for this, but I don't think I'm going to be getting a Wii U the second I, it's available. Well, and, and based on the event the other night, there might actually only be one or two games available at launch, so you're probably not going to be missing out too much. Though, though one of those is Zelda. Well, I have the Wii U, so I can play Zelda up front. That's what I did with... Um... Twilight Princess as well as I is uh I played that on the GameCube before before I got a Wii. I actually had I had the Wii version of the game 
on day one, but it took me like four more months to get a Wii U or, or a normal Wii to actually play it on. Um, I already have a Wii U in this case, so it should be pretty simple. And hopefully they won't do anything goofy to screw with me. Um, that that fun trivia with Twilight Princess is that they actually mirrored the entire game between the GameCube and the Wii. Um, so if you like get used to the map on one console, you switch to the other. Everything's a mirror image. It's confusing as I'll get out. <laughs> I think going back. To- uh, we'll see, but I think that that may have seeming problems. I'm, so I'm not sure that's a seeming problem, though, Bate. I mean, I, I mean, the, the reality is, unless they've done a, a a corporate shift, what they what they do very well is a handful of titles that they that they ba- or a handful of properties rather that they spin off, like tons of different styles of games off of. But it really comes down to like literally a handful, like probably four or five, you know, at best, uh, probably more like three or four actual game. IPs, and then they just generate uh, like content after content based on like Mario and Link, and that's that's sort of what what they've tended to do. And I and I'll be frank with you, until I see different, I'm not really thinking that you're gonna see anybody. You're not gonna see uh, you know high end AAA people coming outside of Nintendo's in house shops uh, and putting something on Switch when they could put a lot more energy into something like a Sony system or even an Xbox. And that is definitely a problem with Nintendo and has kind of always been a problem with Nintendo. And they, they announce a console, they trot out the third party devs. Everybody says they're excited to release, you know, software on the system and then, you know, they disappear and nobody sees them. You know, so I mean, seeing, seeing Skyrim actually running on switch is promising, but Skyrim's what, three or four year old game at this point. And bear in mind, Mass Effect three launched, uh, it was a, Mass Effect 3 was a launch title for the Wii U as well. I mean, they they do drag in third parties. Um, it's just the Wii, you, the Wii has never been a particularly compelling platform for a cross-platform title. Because if you've already got, you know, your your game could be pretty much the same for PC, PlayStation 4, you know, and, and Xbox One. But then Nintendo says, okay, well, we've got a GIMPed graphics card um, and a touchscreen that you have to have to do something with, and good luck with that. <laughs> well, and I, yes, you can get Mass Effect 3 on the Wii U. What the f- That's special. Yeah, I mean, I think that Nintendo's greatest strength is also its greatest weakness, and it's strong because it doesn't really try to directly compete against Xbox and, and Sony. They just do their own thing, and they're not... As concerned with graphics, even though the market tends to, to shift kind of towards that, you know, we want it to look really cool, and they focus more on you know the gameplay. What, what's what unique element can we bring to the gameplay in our hardware? Uh, and, and like Zell said, you can more or less take the same game on Xbox and, and stick it on PS4. It's not it's not a big stretch. I mean, there might be some small differences, but it's basically the same kind of console. It's just different different hardware. Um, but you can't take a game and and, and put it from you know xbox and sony on a nintendo console because one it's not going to meaningfully use its its hardware's gimmick you know you can add some some shallow stuff or there's motion control but it's not going to really use it because the core gameplay doesn't really allow for it and secondly you're going to have to dumb the graphics down because you just can't run it so you you're left with a game that doesn't look as good and can't really use the part that makes Nintendo unique, and you just kind of end up with an inferior product. And at that point, people are like, well, why the hell would I buy it on that system? And game developers go, good point. We're not going to develop for that because we know you're not going to be interested in buying it. So 
They don't. And, and that's kind of the issue is that you've got Nintendo playing by its own rules and most major third-party developers don't want to do that because it's much more lucrative, as Jay said, to put your resources into the market you know is going to sell, which is the Sony and Xbox crowd, especially with the advent of more cross-play stuff. Or not even cross-play, but just, you know, it's available on both systems. You've got a much wider market to work with. I mean, you've got all, of, all the PlayStation and all the Xbox people that you can sell to, or you can sell to Nintendo fans. Business-wise, it doesn't make sense. And, and unfortunately, that, that that's really been hindering Nintendo for a very long time. And that's why they've been so reliant upon, you know, their own developers to, to, to make stuff. And, and that's why they suffer from a software issue. And it's a real shame because they do produce usually pretty good stuff, but you, like Jay said, you end up with rehashing the same IPs over and over, and they're usually pretty good, but you just don't see much new stuff. And I don't think it's a, an issue that Nintendo can necessarily fix, and it may not be one that they should. I, I think it's good that they're a little more unique, but they've got to find some way to get over that issue they're having with a lack of software. And it's, you know, it's a tough question, and I don't know if, if they know how or if they're ready to do that sort of thing. Well, I mean, like has been said already, you know, people are going to buy and play Zelda no matter what. And with a lot of Nintendo's IP, it's the same. And when there's a new Mario game out, people are going to play it. So Nintendo systems are kind of great as a secondary console. Like if you do all, most of your gaming on Xbox, you, you know, a lot of gamers are still going to want to have a Nintendo console to play their first party soft because their games are incredible. You know, or if you play on PlayStation, you might also have, you know, Nintendo system to play their first party games because again, their first party games are fantastic. They just aren't, you're going to be putting out the same amount of content necessarily just because you're relying on their in-house devs for most all of the content on their systems. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. And, you know, I, I really do hope Nintendo does well. I mean, I grew up with Nintendo, and I've always fell in love with all these IPs they've been pushing for literally my entire life and, and well before. So, you know, to see stuff like, you know, this this quality of game that with Zelda, it's like, wow. You know, if only they could produce something like that for you know everything else and actually have it available in a timely manner it would be fantastic but it seems like even now they're still struggling to to get the content out there in time for their you know their hardware releases and it's it's unfortunate uh but yeah so moving along some of the other ones uh another big one that i was kind of interested in you, you mentioned it earlier was the super mario which is the new uh super mario game that's coming out and this one was a little jarring when I first saw it because uh, it kind of pans over a stylized, you know, New York inspired uh, street scene where it's, you know, normal looking people walking around and taxis and stuff. And then Mario comes popping out of the the sewer. It's like, oh, okay, it's a Mario game. Actually, um, if you look very closely, it's New Donk City, not New York City. New Donk City? Okay. New, okay, new Donk, there we yes. go. And yeah, I mean, this this is weird looking. Um, but again, it's kind of got this weird, charming, stylized Mario feel to it. Um, but definitely nothing like what we saw before with like Super Mario Galaxy or anything like that. Um, it, it actually it reminded me a bit, and I was kind of talking to debate about this a couple of days ago. Uh, there was an older Mario game on the Super Nintendo called Mario is Missing. And it was basically kind of a, you play as Luigi and you go through historic cities as Luigi and you look for clues to find out where Mario went and... It basically taught you about the city. It was, it was an educational game that was skinned as Mario. Uh, but this kind of reminded me a bit of that in that the locations are very stylized. It, it's definitely more of a Mario game. It's a platform where you're bouncing around in, in the 3D space. Um, but they're, they're, it looks like they're, they're trying to kind of base it off of like actual 
not necessarily real world locations, but concepts like, you know, there's like a new New York city or new dog city, or there's kind of a, uh, a Spanish themed one or kind of this forest themed one. Um, and I'm kind of interested to see where they take this because it, it does seem to be quite a bit different than what we saw with like Super Mario galaxy, where it's all pretty much original, uh, worlds and ideas. But in this one, they, it looks like they're, they're basically a little more heavily off of like actual locations and, and architecture and stuff. So I'm I'm pretty excited for this. Again, that was another one where I saw the the trailers they were showing. It's like, oh, that looks fantastic. If you can get that at launch, oh no, you can't get that at launch. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of it looks from the looks of it, you, yeah, you've got your new Donk City, which is sort of the, the riff on New York City, but a lot of the rest of it kind of looks more like traditional, you know, Mario Fair in terms of the uh, locations and the environments. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like an Egyptian theme, and there's a like I said, like a Spanish um, kind of a luchador theme, I would call it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the logo kind of implies this globe trotting. you're flying in this hat-shaped airship, and, and the logo's got this uh, you know, globe on it. So I think they're trying to, you know, like I said, it's not necessarily exact locations, but there's themes from various parts of the world that are um, translated into a, kind of a, like an original Mario setting. So, you know, it, it looks interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. It's, it's unfortunate that it's not going to be on launch probably like most of the titles we're going to be talking about here. Yeah, but, pretty uh, much. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, definitely worth looking at the trailer. Like I said, it's, it's very unique looking. Was there any word about the... Or they, yes, actually. They... Oh, cool. Yeah, they're, they're doing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is basically I, a port I, of... I, for, the record, I, for the record, I would like you to, to say the name of that title one more time. Um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Okay, so what that means is it's Mario Kart like 14... Because there's like because seven yeah, like deluxe, uh, you know, like the extra special edition, like the Princess Peach like special racing DLC or whatever. But that's that. That's kind of my point earlier is that it. I, I bait. I'll be frank with you. You knew you didn't have to ask that there was going to be a Mario Kart for Mario, this, right? <laughs> like, I, I mean, you, you kind of there that. was going to be a Mario. Kart. Shut the fuck up. I understood there was going to be a Mario Kart game. It's just a matter of when the damn game was coming. I'm just I'm so probably not at launch. I'm not, I'm, not at launch. I'm, I'm, the the only thing that's going to make that different is if I see Gran Turismo with people like driving mushrooms with wheels. Okay. <laughs> Mario, Mario Kart's really Mario. just trying to you know, catch up to the street naming and numbering convention because there's been like 85 right. Street Fighter teams. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so just I, you know, while you guys were talking about the, I'm, I'm sorry, Bate, go ahead. Oh, I was just I was just missed opportunity to call it like. Well, you know, while you guys were talking about the Switch, I, I was not that familiar with it. I flipped over to, uh, I, you know, did a little bit of Google Foo on it. I, I understood generally what the concept was, and I saw a picture of the black box, but I didn't realize how the controllers, like how the hardware worked. Um, I'm not sure I'm digging that. Like, it, it, this kind of goes back to your it's point, weird. Bill. Uh, you know, how they how the Wii was really a bit of a victim of, of some... Uh, you could call it innovative design, and I do think that we had some innovative design, but it was not very uh, it was not very focused on what what uh, what it was uh, what is really about, which is playing games. Just looking at this thing and how it's like transforming like Voltrons together, I'm gonna bet you money that when people get their hands on this, they're gonna be like, I'm not feeling it. It's like like no I mean, no pun intended, but it's it doesn't look all that that slick I mean, to play with. Nintendo. What I will say is, Nintendo gets its hardware design really well once you have it in hand. the The original Wii looked stupid, and I remember all of the jokes and gags about the the Wiimotes. Um, but you know, it became 
the you know one of the biggest hits they've ever had everybody else had to emulate put their own you know thing you know cue the the playstation move um you know ever it it feels solid when you put a piece of nintendo hardware in your hand they do do that really well but what i have a strong feeling is going to happen um is uh you know kids play with these things so how long until your your wii u is missing the right side of the controller <laughs> yeah I mean, those joy cons look tiny and that's kind of the thing they that are me with you know my giant freaking hands is i don't know i'd be able to hold the thing that's uh so i just flipped it's funny you said that justin i literally just flipped on to uh, gameinformer.com which is kind of you know one of my you know, interesting go-tos along with Tech Eris about just generally what's going on with stuff. They hey, have thanks. it. That it is actually pretty good. So they 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 did a like a a three pair four or five paragraph breakdown of the of the hardware. Looking at it, it's smaller than the original Nintendo controller. Remember those? Like it was about the size of a Hershey chocolate bar. It's mm-hmm. smaller than that. I, I'm a, I'm trying to imagine playing with this thing for a while. It, I don't know. Wait, each, each stick thingy is smaller than, than the, the original By a mile. Control? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, oh, those, those things are tiny. Stick. Eh, that seems reasonable, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean the whole, I the whole damn thing was smaller than the original. Yeah, we have. I mean, my, my problem is that the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 controllers aren't particularly comfortable for me because my hands are bigger than, you know, they comfortably fit. So, I mean, thinking of that, I just I don't know how well it would work for me. Yeah, and the thing is that they, they've got a, a pro controller, which is kind of a more of a classic, you know, what you would expect, like a PlayStation-style controller, just a normal gamepad. But it's $70 right now is the price point for for the, the pro controller for the Switch. And it's like, I don't think that comes with the console, so you're buying that separate. And so, yeah, the console's yeah. 300 bucks, but if you want a controller that may fit your hands, if, if you're like me or Justin with very large hands, that's never 70 bucks for a controller. That's, that's kind of insane for a for what it is, you know, it, it's not anything special beyond just a controller, you know, I, it, it's unfortunate that the price point can end up being there. Well, and the Pro Controller does still have the HD roll, which if you watched the event the other night, does look pretty freaking cool. Uh, so it does have that going for it, and there was something else, now of course off the top of my head I don't remember, but there there were a couple other things that, you know, maybe justify some of the price, because I mean, look, if you buy an Xbox One or even a PlayStation 4 controller, you're spending 60 bucks. So it does do a couple of things, I, th- I believe, above and beyond. Oh, yeah, it also has NFC for Ebos and what. So it does have you know a couple of things above and beyond what your DualShock 4 or your Xbox One controller does. But it still would have been nice if they could have gotten it into like a, a comparable price point with those controllers. Well, and the price point is a little high, like, like I said, but it's not unreasonable. Like, like it is, you know, 70 versus 60, and it does have some extra features. But I think the issue I take with it is that when the base console only comes with the, the Joy controllers, the little ones, you're basically saying if you have large hands or, or if that's not comfortable for you, or you have to buy this. As or a, you're an adult. If you're an adult. Or, or if, um, opposed to like a PS4, where it comes with a controller that you know is going to work because that's what it is. And if if the, with the switch came with the pro controller, I'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I'll see, I'll, I'll buy it. That's the price point. But the fact that you have to, you know, buy it separate to, to even potentially feel comfortable while playing the system is is a little frustrating. And, and that kind of leads me to the point where Kelly like Jay was saying with all the crazy Voltron stuff going on. Honestly, I think where this is going to end up going with when people buy this, they're they're going to play it one of two ways. Either it's going to be Plugged in, and it's going to be another Wii where they never take it out of the dock, and it's you know they show it off to their friends, and they first get it. Hey, look, you can pull it out. Isn't that cool? But they're always going to play it on their TV. 
or they're going to carry it around like a handheld, but it's, they're not going to utilize this pull the, the side controllers off to do extra stuff and play four-person games or whatever. I don't think it's ever going to happen for, for most people, and I, I think that unfortunately that's it's going to, it's going to kind of make the, the, the game pass suffer because that's where they're they're putting a lot of their hype is that oh look at all this crazy stuff you can do with it i don't think anyone's going to actually do most of what they're they're showing off it's going to boil down to it's going to be either played like a handheld like you would your ds or you're going to play it like a like a home console and, and for that matter i think they're going to really suffer in that regard yeah i, w- I would tend to agree with that I was just going to say the big reason why people probably aren't going to do the other stuff like you were saying, like the four-player with little Joy-Cons, is because one of those Joy-Cons is like 40 bucks. Yep, that too. Oh, that never, so stopped, us. That never stopped us. We got piles of... We got, we got like six <laughs> Wiimotes so. floating around this place. We got the, the, the nunchucks, because the Wiimotes are like $40 a Wiimote, and then it's $20 for the nunchuck, and you need both for a lot of games. And then... You know, you've got what else do we have around here? We got the Wii Zappers; those are cool. Um, <laughs> the the stupid tennis racket thing. You love well, your that's, tennis. That's a, love your tennis racket. That's, like, that's a cosmetic, like whatever. That doesn't count for shit. But we have so much. Know, I have so much Wii accessory stuff floating around this house. You have no idea. I, house. You have no idea. I, I have no doubt. I never had the microphone though. So. Uh, I guess I guess what we've seen is an, an interesting concept again with from Nintendo in terms of uh, again I I will have to give them some credit there is a bit of innovation in this but I think Pokey really kind of put the uh, you know put the underscore on this one it's perhaps a good example of something that can do a lot of things but none of them well uh, and and I think that's where and, and I think to fall into the uh, into the market share and, and which is probably to, I mean. I could be wrong. The Switch might be the, the you know one of the big, biggest things going over the next you know year or two years, but I, I it's not going to outmuscle an Xbox or a PlayStation, and and frankly, like a Nintendo DS like or the little DS 3D like my kid has, uh, that thing's pretty awesome actually, and and you can play the heck out of that, or you know dare I say an iPad or you know like a little phablet phone or something. There's too many other options I think that are better in their niche than what this could bring. Yeah, and I, I think that Nintendo is trying to recreate the the hit that the Wii was. Um, the Wii U was obviously an attempt at that that did not do so well, and I, I think that it comes down to that the Wii was very easy and simplistic in, in that it was accessible to, to a lot of various groups of people. You had little kids and elderly people, and then you had you know some of the adults that stopped playing games but used to play games, and then obviously kind of our crowd that that plays games anyways but it was it was accessible and it was easy to understand and it wasn't hard to set up and you had you know your remote and maybe a nunchuck but it just plugged it in the back and, and it was easy this is a lot going on like you if you need an instruction manual to set it up you know for just basic gameplay it's going to turn people off i mean they're, they're going to want to keep it nice and simple and, and either it's going to be the home console or they're just going to keep it as you know mobile version and stick it in its mobile case and, and that's going to be the end of it so you know i, I just want people messing around with all the, the crazy stuff that's going on but you know it, it is what it is i don't think it's going to do as well as the wii by any means it might do better than the wii u because this is kind of what the wii u was trying to be in the first place um but yeah i, I don't expect to see this sell like crazy it'll, it'll be cool but i don't think it's going to take off like the wii did yeah everybody was kind of shocked i think when they saw the Wii U, and then found out that the tablet only worked within 30 feet of the of the main yeah. console. <laughs> well, especially when you had, like, 
you know, the PlayStation Vita, which admittedly was a total failure, but that could use Wi-Fi to connect to your PS4 and you could play PS4 games remotely. That had more functionality than, than the Wii U did, which people were like, oh, well, shit, I guess that wasn't at all what we wanted. So, you know, the, the Switch is kind of Nintendo's way of fixing that, I think. But I, I, I don't know. It, it's just it's still a little too weird, I think, people to really get their head around. Uh, moving along real quick. To, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, just moving along to the other games that, that are coming out. Um, Splatoon 2. Uh, Splatoon was obviously very popular. Um, I think it was on the Wii and Wii U. Uh, that's kind of Nintendo's first-person shooter, or third-person shooter, rather, where you're little squid kids running around. And I've never personally played it, just just seen gameplay of it, but it's obviously been very successful. So you'll be seeing uh, the sequel to that uh, coming to the Switch. I, I think it's, for the most part, largely unchanged, just kind of updated for the new console and, and all that. So that's, they've added that'll some probably new weapons, they've added some new game modes, stuff like that. So it is obviously very similar to the first game, but they have kind of given an upgrade for the sequel. Yeah, and, and that's that's fine. I mean, if it's not broken, don't don't fix it, which is something I think some developers can learn from. So, uh, I mean, you know, I think this will do pretty well. I mean, Splatoon's, I mean, that's that's very much uh, kind of in the classic Nintendo wellhouse, kind of, you know, developed for that probably 7 to 12-year-old range and does it very well. I mean, it's a fun game. It's actually it's actually very elegantly done. Uh, and, and all, it is a lot of fun. All honesty. honesty. Uh, it, you know, that kind of gameplay kind of reminds me that uh, uh, Rocket League, you know, you know, soccer with cars kind of thing. Very simplistic uh, concept, very well executed, but again, kind of in that seven to twelve-year-old age range. I think that's. Now I'm sitting here thinking through that. That's really one of the things that I've seen uh, Nintendo struggle with generally, and I'm hoping the Switch will change it. Uh, they don't really uh, market directly towards kind of the older, you know, the more adult gamers. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, I, and maybe you might, I might be jumping all over your pokey on this one, but what, what other games do they have coming out that'll that'll reach that audience. I Nintendo has never I really Nintendo has yeah. catered exactly to the adult market, but at the same time, their games are pretty universally accessible for any age range. Shoot, I'm an older gamer myself, and I still pick up a Nintendo game and play it just because they're that damn good. So, I mean, yeah, they're going to probably still have the cutesy graphics and you know, plumber running around and you know, jumping on stuff, but the gameplay is really what sets them apart. The gameplay, the design, and, and they... Pretty much always knock those out of the park. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see games that are, are either one built for nostalgia because you played that game, you know, in the past. Like the the new Sonic Mania game is obviously a, a direct attempt to, to kind of pull in the old Sonic fans uh, with a, a classic 2D side scroller experience. But it's either that or you've got games that are designed to be played with children typically i mean it's 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 for kids but it's accessible like justin said where an adult can enjoy it um maybe playing with their kids or with a younger brother something like that or at a party you know it's it always those good party games but in terms of kind of the experience that you know adults would look for that we get from say playstation 4 or xbox where you're, you're playing a more serious game I, I, i'm not seeing really anything that's that's coming out of the Nintendo shop right now that they're that they're gearing towards that it's it's just not something that they're really trying to go for. And it's, it's unfortunate because it, it would probably get me to buy the system if they could actually produce something like that that utilized the unique gameplay that Nintendo hardware can offer. But you just I don't see it happening. It's, it's, it's several generations now, and it's, it's just not there. 
But yeah, anything else on kind of what's going on with the Switch? I think we've kind of gone over some of the major titles, and, and there's some other minor ones that are coming out. You guys can look up on your own, like the, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the, the I guess the Sonic one or the the Bomberman just arms, some old arms. remakes, arms, just goofy Wii stuff that you see. Uh, one two switch is kind of a series of mini games using the the Joy-Con controllers, and you know it's stuff that kind of like Jay said, I probably wouldn't be too interested in just because it's it's kind of gimmicky and catered more towards kids. But you know, it's still kind of check it out, see kind of what Nintendo's working on, and, and and see what they're up to. It's it's probably worth at least looking through the trailers. And all I'm saying is they need a new WarioWare game for Switch. That would be fantastic. <laughs> that would be pretty fun. Killing me, Smalls. All right, so moving along, uh, the topic that Jake had wanted to talk about, um, just his personal experience, is tabletop gaming in general, and, and kind of want to get your thoughts on on that and, and where it's been and, and where it's going and, and your your likes and dislikes. So uh, I'm going to hand this, this over to Jake. He's going to kind of talk about this for a bit. Uh, sure. So this is a bit of a, uh, a collusion of two topics. Uh, one, uh, kind of, you know, Pokey and I both kind of, kind of like talking about sort of the, the generational differences in gamers. Uh, and we've got a pretty good, uh, cross section here in terms of the, the hosts on the show, uh, all the way from bait who, who I think's our youngest guy, you know, by, you know, significantly, at least compared to me all the way up to me, you know, at age 41. So, I'm probably the, you know, and maybe Justin perhaps, but I think I'm probably, we might be the only guys that as far as you can remember, all the way back to probably the Atari 2600, it was technically possible to have some form of a digital gaming system around you almost, you know, from within memory. Uh, So we're probably in that first generation of folks that have played those games. Um, Now games have changed dramatically. I mean, it's, you know, over the years in terms of content and, you know, not just the technical components, but literally what's, what's in a game and how it caters to different groups and audiences. Uh, I would also, I would offer that that's probably guys about my age that got into game design who continued to make games over the years that were appealing more and more to folks in their, in their sort of, uh, interest modes, or at least their maturity levels, which is kind of interesting, you know, business study in and of itself. Uh, but in conjunction with that, there was a bit of discussion in terms of um, sort of old school tabletop gaming, which really got a lot of game designers. That's really where they cut their teeth. You know, a lot of the great, uh, particularly RPG games specifically, you tend to get a lot of guys that kind of grew up in the tabletop world that eventually wanted to translate their tabletop visions into a digital format. And and there's a lot of classic sort of isometric RPG, like uh, mostly turn-based RPGs uh, that came out over the years. And they're, they're still turning them out. Uh, some of them really quite good uh, that sort of harken back to that. But then you got, you know, quite a few other types of games uh, in terms of like, you know, Settlers of Catan, which is a, a very classic old board game kind of. Uh, in fact, I had guys with me playing that. Like somebody, I literally had a Catan set and, it's, that was one of their things they did on Sunday afternoons uh, when we were uh, uh, on my last uh, business trip for six months. Uh, we had a small group of guys that were out and we were in another country and they, they would literally have like little Catan fights, you know, like uh, every, every Sunday. It was pretty interesting. So 
I've watched this over the years and uh, I, I kind of just want to put that on, on the table for a little bit of discussion in terms of like where that, where that kind of came from. I personally grew up as a kid, um, you know, I would play, you know, like classic Nintendo. I even actually had not the Atari 2600, but I actually had an Atari 5600, which didn't last long, but it was clearly a jump up from the 20. Um, but I really got into certain types of tabletop gaming, uh, Dungeons and Dragons being probably the easiest one to uh, to access. Uh, things like BattleTech, you know, the old Shadowrun games, things like that. And that and it wasn't really just the mechanics of the game. That was very actually kind of only a little a little bit. What was interesting? What was really interesting to me was the world building that uh, these guys did, and how they would try to craft game mechanics into the world. Uh, the number one thing, though, I got out of it was the the actual human interaction. Uh, you know, six, you know, five, six people sitting around a table, the classic, you know, Mountain Dew and Cheetos thing in, in college, and uh, and and enjoying, you know, like five, six hours worth of, you know, playing BattleTech or playing, you know, you're playing D and D or something like that. But it was it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of great human interaction in it, and, and frankly, it probably could have been a great sort of, um, you know, a bit of a bit of theater practice, if nothing else, because you get a couple of guys that really get into it and have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but it's, I think those are some of the, the interesting things that I remember growing up in terms of tabletop gaming and then how slowly there's this huge lull where like the digital age sort of dropped off a lot of that human interaction. You could still play with people or maybe they could play, do like couch co-op and stuff. But now it's, it's really gotten back to a component. Like I'm, I, I marvel at the, uh, how fast it is to pick up extra players and quickly get on voice comms with people like using a PS4. Um, it, it's incredibly seamless in terms of literally doing that. So it, it's starting to slowly get a little bit of that back, but I think it's sort of that face-to-face like small group interaction versus the dispersed uh, sort of on-demand interaction that you can have um, in the digital world. So like, like I said, open topic for discussion, but I was kind of curious what you guys think in terms of sort of how you've seen games develop and maybe your experiences in uh, tabletop gameplay. Well, I, I'm not quite your age, Jason. I'm, I'm close. I'm 38, so I'm close to that. I, I didn't really get into a ton of tabletop gaming when I was younger. I, I did like a couple rounds of the old, uh, old oh, what the heck was it? Death Bowl or whatever, whatever the goblin themed football oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> game was. So I played a little bit of that, and you know, I had Blood dab- yeah, yeah, that was it. Uh, dabbled a little bit here and there with others, but I mean, really, my my gaming kind of started with the twenty six hundred, like you were saying. Um, and it's kind of been funny to see sort of the 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 way games have kind of gone from you know you almost have to have co op to you pretty much don't want co-op at all, so you're playing by yourself and kind of slowly but surely bringing, <laughs> bringing other people back into the party with you know, either online multiplayer or local co-op or you know, that kind of thing. So um, I, I don't know. That's just kind of been, been my experience where you sort of see the, the varying level of uh, interaction that you have with other people as you're playing games. Yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely one of the things I've kind of noticed. Now, I, I think there's a, been a very natural trend in terms of the content of games uh, how the how the digital medium really kind of lends itself in this very sort of natural progression of uh, being more and more uh, per- not progressive, but uh, just more adult in general theme in nature to the point where some of them are, you know, quite like 
pretty complex, you know, ideas visually, both uh, story mode or the interactions you have in the game are, are, are pretty high-end stuff uh, versus the tabletop games often don't really get that way. What they're really designed is it's for you to help come up with your own sort of experience in that in that way versus uh, I think a lot of games nowadays are really becoming more almost like a guided movie. Uh, particularly the you know the like big triple A ones. Now they're also the really good ones have a series of plot twists and and things that you actually uh, are a component of in terms of seeing the story through to the end. But ultimately, it's still more or less a uh, not necessarily an on the rails movie. You're following a movie, but you are very much in a scripted set of events that go through. Whereas the tabletop pieces. Um, it, it's definitely more about the individuality of the people playing the game. Uh, so there, there's a maturity level that I think we've seen in the digital media. You know, I, like there's there's stuff out there now that I I think as a kid, if my parents had seen, like you know, Marty McFly had like a bunch of you know video games, and they saw videos one, they wouldn't believe any of that was possible that you could actually put something like that on a computer, like the size of one of my college textbooks, you know, and pipe it over a screen. Two they would literally, uh, I, I, I have, I don't think they'd be able to fathom uh, letting me get involved or playing any of those things. Uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting watching how they've matured over time. And I think gamers generally, as we get, like, as you pick it up as a kid, you, you grow older with it. It's sort of like the Harry Potter effect, basically. Like the, a lot of people say JK Rowling, she got better as a writer over time, which is, that is accurate. I also think she's a very smart writer. She actually was writing for the audience uh, that she targeted in the first book. And if you look at how long those books took to come out, they sort of the sort of the writing level changes with each book. Mostly, I think because you know she is a gifted writer, but she's also pretty smart about knowing her audience, and she targeted the uh, you know sort of the content. I think game designers do a lot of the same things. Uh, so it's kind of interesting as, as a older guys, like you can find things that are actually still kind of mentally appealing. I, I will say this though, like a good old fashioned tabletop session is still pretty fun. Mostly just cause you can, you can sit and have, you know, like have a beer with people and have some, have a pretty good time with it. Uh, it's also a lot more difficult to arrange as opposed to a digital format, which is again, very much like on demand communication and on demand, you know, community, if you will. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, obviously with tabletop gaming, you pretty much have to use more imagination because you're creating the game yourself kind of based on certainly pre-existing in some instances characters or settings, but you kind of are shaping the way the game itself goes. And you know, video games kind of by definition have to be more pre-scripted. There are definitely you know, some more interesting and some more, um, I guess, adult or even just some just crazy experiences that you can find in especially like indie games lately if, if you haven't seen like to the moon or oh, that's I even undertale or that dragon cancer i mean, just some of the the storytelling and stuff that they're doing just through the medium of video games is stuff that i knew and imagine you know 15 or 20 years ago no i think you're i, I think you're absolutely absolutely spot on with that it's it is pretty phenomenal when you look at sort of how things have changed over time. Now, one interesting thing that is, I think, I'm not going to say unique to the digital piece, but the ability, the ability uh, through not just like social media, but like to make digital connectivity with groups like large community groups and utilizing basically a digital game as sort of the, you know, 
that social connective tissue is very surprising. There's, there, you know, any number of different, uh, you know, master's thesis that have been written in terms of either psychology, sociology, and a couple economics ones on how games affect social connectivity. Uh, a lot of us played EVE Online. That was a big one where that's that's almost like a, at the hyper end of it. Uh, but you can see any anything that has large quote unquote guilds or corporations or, or whatever you want to call it in the digital in-game world. Um, that That is one thing that is, I think, somewhat unique versus the the digital and the sort of the analog, if you will, you can get a very large uh, sort of online dispersed group of people uh, together with these digital games. Whereas tabletop gaming, there's a lot more intimacy involved in that. That's truly usually folks that you know, because you're going over to somebody's house or you might be meeting, you know, like, well, you know, at the college library or whatever, but it's generally people that you've personally met and you know. So it's a very different sort of, uh, sort of interaction that you get and it, which I think drives the, a different style of gameplay, you know, or, or different style of gaming, so to speak. That's actually an interesting point. And this isn't necessarily related to tabletop gaming, but it's, it's two separate video games that are very similar in how they're designed, except for some pretty key differences. And that's final fantasy 11 and final fantasy 14. And both of them are online MMOs. And they have a guild system that, you know, like you said, you can build communities like that. But what an interesting point that I, I kind of noticed in playing both games is that in Final Fantasy XIV, you can queue up. You just say, hey, I want to do this dungeon. And it throws you in a queue, and then it just cycles certain pairs of people and sends them to the dungeon. And, you know, you go in there, and you, you do your thing. You, you may or may not talk to the people you're with, and then you finish it. You get your prize, and then you're done. In Final Fantasy XI, there was no matchmaking at all. Like zero the game would not do anything for you so if you wanted to do a dungeon and the game punished solo players heavily so you needed people and to get these people you had to talk to people you had to form communities and go up to people and be like hey i want to go do this can we go do this are you interested and you it was a lot of work involved and, and you would kind of develop a, a group of people that you would do stuff together with and you were dependent upon each other because no one could do anything alone there was no system in place to, you know, pair you up for you easily. So the the kind of community you would get was was quite different. Whereas Final Fantasy fourteen is a little more detached, and um, you know, you, you may have a few laughs throughout the dungeon. You're probably never going to see the guy ever again. And so you you have very shallow communication. Whereas with eleven, you were with these people probably for a very long time for the duration of playing the game because again you were very dependent upon each other. People were much nicer to each other because if you pissed off your group and no one wanted to play with you, you were back at square one and had to start over again. Um, and I think that in eleven, you you had a bit more of as you described. Uh, uh, obviously it was online, but it was more of a, 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 a real real world group of friends and because you were encouraged to kind of stick with the same people um, due to the nature of how the game was set up. Whereas with 14, which is a much more modern game, uh, you don't have that anymore. So you can see even with something as simple as providing matchmaking versus not providing matchmaking, you have vastly different ways that the community develops. One that becomes very close and, and well-knit, and you have little pockets of friends that spend a lot of time together, and the other is much more, you know, you may interact with a lot more different kinds of people, but you're not going to really get to know them ever. It, it's kind of an interesting dynamic that even simple game design choices can can cause massive rifts in how 
um, a community is going to develop versus versus um, how it may not. No, you know that is kind of interesting. In the digital piece, you're you're definitely strung together with how the game is set up, which kind of drives the uh, the initial connectivity you have with other people. Um, what one of the kind of curious things I was I was kind of looking at was you know I think there's like uh, generational cycles in terms of like the age of gamers and how you look at games. Uh, like I, I'm watching my eight year old as he plays his you know his 3ds or his your PlayStation four or whatever, you know, or even his iPad. And, you know, he's got a different experience with that than I probably would have, or at least I do now. Uh, I tend to use, I tend to do a lot of mobile gaming because I travel a lot. So my iPad pro is, you know, I usually, you know, I'm continually testing out different games and apps and processes on that thing just to mess around with it. Um, my go-to is like really a PlayStation four console. I will occasionally I will jump on the Mac uh, for some Steam games here and there, but it's usually things I can do in short bursts, and I generally don't do anything with other people on the Mac or on the tablet. I usually save that just for the console, like when I have a little bit of time, because I'm, I'm generally pretty busy during the week. Um, but I, I can, you know, my like eight-year-old kid up to probably teenagers, you probably have quite a bit of time. College, it's I think you're you have a lot more couch co-op kind of stuff going on, uh, but there's still a fair amount. But then that sort of rapidly tails off. Uh, for I know through my 20s and 30s, I I didn't play much of anything. I would kind of dabble around with games here, you know, here and there. But as I got into my 30s, and I got like not necessarily, I actually have less time, but I was able to really pick and choose where my time was more. Uh, I actually kind of got back into gaming quite a bit. Uh, so that's, it's kind of interesting. Also my interest change, like, so instead of playing a game right now, I'm literally doing a podcast about games and technology and, you know, pop culture stuff, which is sort of a, a you know, a furthering outlet or a maturing outlook, outlook of that. And I was kind of curious where you guys are at in that. And like, like Livy has probably got, she's got some of the same things I have with, you know, we got family, you know, kids, things like that. Uh, I was kind of curious, like how you guys look at uh, how games fit in your lifestyles uh, right now, based on either age or your situation. It seems like I have to make, you know, form more than an album. It seems like I don't got no, I ain't got no damn time to, you know, oh, I've got three hours to kill or whatever. I ain't got nothing to do. Let's play some video games or whatever. Now you know, I got to carve out. Okay, if I really wanted to, I could sit down, you know, here for an hour, an hour and a half and play a plague. But it, it, I don't know, man. It's just like you're, you're talking about this this idea of going over my house so foreign to me. Like, I can, I, I, I obviously see why, you, you know, that uh, that kind of thing is good. And, you know, I've done it once or twice. And uh, for, for me personally, if that's what you, why you go over, lug all your shit, you know, lop it in and play it in four hours. You, you could do the same thing more or less, uh, obviously. I feel like that's completely youth speaking right there. <laughs> I, I, I was just trying to find a way to engage him without being, you know, saying something like, get off my lawn. No, and it is my, I mean, for me, I have a son, he's three, and it's just him and I most of the time. But, you know, I have to schedule playing games like I schedule his dinner, bath, and bedtime. It's like, okay, as soon as he goes to bed, I have like this 30 minute buffer time, and then I'm playing games myself. So, you know, I, but I took a break, I think, from 20, maybe 23 to about 
eight, you know, years where I was, you know, off doing all kinds of random things, career, finishing college, master's. Um, there was a time where I just stopped playing games altogether and I picked back up. <laughs> My first game picking up in years was Destiny. What a letdown to come back to gaming after a few years to play that game. You could have chosen better with that one. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I, I find myself being a little more picky in what I want to spend my time doing. But going back to going to someone else's house for a few hours. I mean, if you're already going to go over to someone's house and drink very happy amounts of alcohol, why not put a board game on it? You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's probably something to that. It, well, it's, I, I, I can see like if you're like the impatience of youth, like whereas, again, it's there's on demand social connectivity. Uh, you know, you, th- that that was definitely not a thing. I remember that was like you had to have like your regular game night, like in college, or like or even, you know, like when I would play a little bit, like uh, in my like late twenties, early thirties. Like it was like a, a group of people about my age uh, that played uh, um, like Dungeons and Dragons. You you had to like, hey, like on Saturday from this time to this time, or Sunday. You, you actually had to set it up, and we would uh, we would all get on our uh, Got, like the, our our Gen One iPhones, you know, and like sync it up on our calendar, like all, <laughs> very, all very hipster, good. you know. Well, again, if it's something that's important to you and it's something that you enjoy doing, you're going to find the time to do it. One of our other editors actually every Wednesday has a game night with some of his friends, so they just get together and sit and do their thing. Yeah, I think that's that's probably pretty fair. Uh, it's it, it it is like I said, it does tend to you know, have kind of a different style. I will say this though, like, and I've kind of talked about this on some of the other shows. I'm at the age now and in my, in my son who he turned eight, like on the 31st of December. So, uh, for Christmas slash birthday, he, he got a PS4. So there's, there's some method to my madness there. So the way our house is set up, like I have my, you know, like 60 plus inch plasma, you know, with all, you know, where all the, all the football, the sports ball is watched with my PS4, but his room is off, off to my left within a clear shouting and line of sight distance. So I set his PS4 up there. So me and him can play star Wars battlefront together uh, instead of like, you know, couch co-op and, or uh, which I can't stand split split screen. Like I used to, I used to think that was the absolute like coolest thing in the world when I could sit there with a buddy of mine and play gauntlet or something like that, which is, is still one of my favorite games of all time, but it was, my old man eyes are really, I'm really struggling watching like multiple screens like that. <laughs> so well, uh, it's... And back in the day, that's really all there was. So that was fantastic. Now there's you have options. Well, no, I would, you ever, uh, you ever tried to do like the good old fashioned land party where you had like, like you get really geek. You now check it, check this out, bait. You're, you're really going to love this. You have <laughs> yeah, like a like bunch a... of people bring their computers to some dude's house. And then the one smart guy who knows how to do, how to do, how to do everything. He like daisy chains, all these computers together. So you can play like mech warrior or something. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my brother actually just grabbed his computer and left a few minutes ago to go hang out with his friends. I, I actually yeah. have a, nice I, to do I have a Diablo too. story. Oh, send it, man. <laughs> so when I was at Illinois state for a couple of years, we were, uh, <clears throat> my roommate and I were, the first to kind of set up a modem cable between our two computers so we could sit and play Doom or Quake or something like that. So a couple of people on our floor kind of did the same thing, and, you know, we're all excited about it, and, you know, invited me to see if I wanted to play, God, what was it, Red Alert 2 or something, not knowing that I had, you know, played a hell of a lot of Command and Conquer in my days and kind of knew what I was doing. 
so this dude was talking all the trash in the world and you know was sitting there saying like oh you know look what i'm doing you're gonna lose i'm doing this and blah 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 not realizing that i was amassing my forces behind his base and i sent like one little tank like right up the gut of his base he's like oh is that all you got and then i brought the rest of my tanks up through beside his base and just annihilated him and then he got really mad and that was game one uh game two kind of similar i sent you know like a kind of little straggler force up the gut of his base and then had my spy come around the back and take over his command center and then take over his barracks and then take over and all he just got so mad because he thought he was just gonna school all that and then he just lost very very badly every time he tried to play. <laughs> well, the best thing is like it, it gives your uh, it gives your trash talk a whole new meaning when you can actually eyeball somebody. It's uh that that was I remember doing that with Mech Warrior. Uh, we we would have guys that were actually pretty solid and that you'd get housed by them occasionally. We would play for beer, you know. That was that always got interesting. But no, that see that's the kind of stuff that it's it does take a lot of time to set up, but it's uh it's really really fun uh, when you go through that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, like I was saying earlier, I used to, even though we had the ability to play online, I would actually grab my, my old laptop and I'd go to a friend's house and we'd sit down, we'd play Diablo 2 via LAN instead of doing it online just because it was, yeah, it, it might be different for you, babe, but for me, it, when you get into a cycle where everything is so regimented where it's like, wake up, go to school, come home, you know, do family dinner, go to bed... It, you might get some games in there, but sometimes it's nice just to break the cycle and get out of the house, you know, go somewhere else other than the same four walls you're used to looking at. Um, and so it, it would be nice just to get out and just go over to a buddy's house and play games and actually have like an actual conversation. We'd take a break and go, you know, order a pizza or whatever and share a pizza. You know, it was that kind of social interaction that, that made it interesting and, and fun to, to actually even though the option was totally there to do it all online and, and get on Skype and, and talk, it, it, it offered some additional advantage to kind of get, get together and, and hang out like you would with like a tabletop game, like, like um, Jay said earlier, but it, it did add a little bit more of a dynamic to it. And it's, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see kind of how, um, you know, for me, me personally, my preference is changing over the year. And I've kind of been thinking about this, um, a lot lately, <clears throat> where back in the day, maybe after I graduated college and the market was bad and I didn't have a job yet because it's hard to get work, I spent a lot of time at home playing video games because what else are you going to do while you're waiting for people to call you back for your resume? And back then, you know, I was I was actually really big into Dust. Yeah, I played Dust a lot. Obviously, PvP very competitive. You know, it just played the shit out of it. And, and you know, I play a lot of other games like Assassin's Creed. I just bought the entire Assassin's Creed series and just played all of them that were available, just back to back, platinum. I think most of them. And you know, just basically spent an exorbitant amount of time playing games. And you know, eventually, you know, you you're done with school. You start working. You're working. You know, not you know. Eight to five, seven to five, whatever you do, um, and your amount of available free time starts to really, really drop off. And I started to realize that I simply didn't have the time to do that anymore. I didn't have the time to play every new game that came out and pre-order every Assassin's Creed and every Final Fantasy and play multiple MMOs. And it just you don't have the time for. It. And it was it was really hard, I think, for me at first to to kind of get that. Uh, get my head around the idea that, wow, I can't actually play every game I want to play anymore. And like Libby said, you know, you, you start to get a little more picky because you realize I have 
X number of hours a day where I can do what I want with my life, and I'm going to play games, and this is what I plan to do. But you you physically can't do it, and it, it's it, it not only alters the amount of games you play, but also the kind of games you play. So I found that I tend I, I started to kind of drift away from a lot of competitive games because. After a long day of work and I'm stressed beyond reason, I just want to wind down. The last thing I want to do is have some ten-year-old take a shit at my Cheerios. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to have a really difficult time some days. And sometimes you just kind of want to feel like a badass and you want to hang out with friends and play games. And so I found myself gravitating more towards co-op games and PVE games, where it's probably not nearly as challenging as a PvP game, but you know, it, it gives you. That social experience, it gives you that experience of achieving something, um, you know, through through the game. And I, I found that as my amount of free time has drastically decreased, that experience has become much more uh, appealing to me rather than the I'm going to sink a gazillion hours into every game I find. I'm going to be ultra competitive because, you know, if I if someone, you know, kicks my ass and I don't get the thing I was trying to get, it's no big deal because I, you know, can stay up before I am and it's no big deal. I've got lots of time. And it's just, it's an interesting thing for me to see that transition from in college to I'm, I'm playing, you know, couch co-op games and, you know, you're in college, so you're busy, but you, you still have, you know, quite a bit of free time, a lot of downtime, um, especially in the holidays and stuff like that. To being unemployed post-college where you have more time you know what to do with and you do everything and then going into a much more scheduled, regimented, you know, seven to five, I work, I drive home, I do dinner, and I've got four, maybe five hours to play games, probably usually less. Um, and, and how that alters how and what kind of games you play. And it's it's just it's interesting to see as you kind of progress through life, um, those kind of changes that happen. And it, it's it's interesting to see that the market, um, particularly the mobile market, kind of like Jay said, he's on the road a lot. Um, I think as, as gamers are getting older and the amount of time, like blocks of time they can dedicate to playing games, they may only have 15 minutes. Well, most like first-person shooter matches from sitting down to turning on your console and starting the game to get the game going to play the game, and it's going to take you 30, 40, 50 minutes to do all that for one battle. You may not have the time for that. So... You know, even with games like um, Overwatch, which is, you're starting to see kind of this compression of of gameplay. It it gives you the options for for smaller spans of of playtime. I mean, uh, CCP talked about a bit about this with Eve Valkyrie, that they wanted to provide a gameplay experience in New Eden that was very short. It was a five-minute match. You could sit down and and do five minutes because that may be the only amount of time you have. And I think that's really actually the game industry trying to cater more towards um, an older gaming population that, you know, grew up with games and they love games and they want to play games, but they don't have the time to enjoy the exact same kinds of experiences they were used to. So they're offering them these mobile games, these, you know, hell, even those, those stupid idle games you can play that basically play the game for you on your phone. Stuff like that, where you can still get an experience, but it, it's much more catered towards you know the kind of lifestyle that 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 people who are getting older um, i i have to to say this sounds incredibly similar to things that i hear about like stuff for seniors you know is is you you want them to be able to enjoy that kind of lifestyle that they're used to but you know without quite so much difficulty and and (laughs) 
I'm just there. There's just a very, very clear co- uh, similarity there in the way the the way you were talking, and it just was cracking me up. No, you know, it, it's it's totally the, the 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 real deal, though, man. I mean, it's like you. It, it's it's nice though because I don't feel like I'm being totally screwed by a game industry that's that's insisting on, on producing content that only really works for people that have a lot of time on their hands. You know, kids basically. Um, I, I feel like it, it's kind of evolving with us, and that's it's it's nice to see. Yeah, that's that, that is a pretty interesting uh, kind of take on a pokey. By the way, I, I tend to agree with I think I think pretty much most of that. The one of the things I've, I've tended I tend to do is I will pick different much different games now, and I, I think you hit something on there. Um, PVE style games um, I get more into now, or if I'm playing uh, true PvP or you know, like multiplayer online type stuff, it's I'm very selective about who I do it with or how, you know, it's because that's, I don't have a lot of time to invest in bigger pieces. Uh, so I, I I tend to go with games that are very easy to get into very quickly, do a few things, and then, you know, I can very readily shut the game off without losing massive progress, you know, or getting, you know, it's, it's easy to transition in and out and do some things. So, um, like I was, I I was in 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 remain a huge fan of turn-based tactical and strategy games, mostly because they're really really easy to pick up and put down. Uh, and and the reality is like you know like because I do travel a lot. Like I like my tablet is far more powerful than any computer I had all the way up through probably you know, my, my mid to my late twenties, probably. Um, so what I can do on my, I mean, I'm playing games on my iPad that are light years ahead of some of the stuff that I played, you know, back in like the latter part of college. So it's, and they're, they're really well crafted and well done. There's a lot of things that you can do, but what I can get into and get out of is pretty interesting. And it's funny, you, you kind of mentioned that about the FPS. So like earlier this evening, I'm, trying to play some playing some star wars battlefront it literally takes you know probably 10 15 minutes just to get get the playstation okay to get the playstation turned on in my room in the kids room you know send party invites both of us boot up star wars battlefront but which by the way takes forever to boot up it's a beautiful game like dust forever no 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 i mean like like trust me cycling in and out of matches and it takes forever. Uh, it, it is a gorgeous game, audio and visual, you know, fairly smooth, very simple, but very smooth. Um, but it takes forever. So by the time me and the kid get into, into our first match, it's, it's every bit of, you know, you know, 15 plus minutes. Uh, it, so there's no on or off on that one. And oh, by the way, you can't just like stop that stuff either. Um, so the, I do tend to pick games that I can get into and out of a lot, a lot quicker now, uh, which is interesting because you know things like well, like Telltale games, those are a lot of fun for me. It's mentally stimulating. It's really fun, uh, but it's also easy to get in and out of. So uh, in my in my uh, uh, shout out to to Jake on that one, yes, I guess I am trying to live in a seniors retirement community for gamers. I mean, the one thing I would add actually is uh, and i know it's an unpopular topic or tends to be but i i honestly i think the whole uh move towards uh freemium and and microtransaction is similarly designed to uh cater to the the older gamer who doesn't have time but has a lot of money <laughs> well yeah that's the one that's the one so, so. 
I, I well, mean, because I, I mean, well, like the thing is, is like I used to be able to sit there and grind out like you know something that would take me you know sixteen twenty hours to get like a pet in the game. You know, I don't have time for that anymore. I ain't gonna lie to you. I'll drop twenty bucks but, on it in a heartbeat if I want it. <laughs> right, right. I don't have twenty hours, but I do have twenty bucks. With a quickness, <laughs> like I did. In fact, I did that earlier today. I, I will. I absolutely freely admit that. Like, I'm, you know, I'll I'll throw twenty bucks at a at a video game problem. Like, if I really want it, like with like not even think twice. <laughs> well, and that's actually interesting. Interesting point because I mean, for for someone like me, where my my income is is a little more limited, so I, I can't necessarily afford to do something like that. You your your buying habits alter quite a bit, where you're. Not necessarily uh, drawn to the free-to-play games because, you know, like you said, they, they do tend to kind of encourage you just to throw money at it, which you end up spending often a lot more than you normally would have. Let's look at Dust, how much money I spent on Dust. I'll give you a hint. It was more than $60. Um, Car payment. Car payment. Yeah, pretty much. But the, the, the idea of if I buy a game, I'm very, very reluctant to buy games, especially release titles, because if I buy a game and I don't like it, the cost of that game is actually fairly detrimental. Like, it's it's hard to shrug off a sixty dollar purchase for me, where I'm like, eh, it was only sixty bucks. You know, that 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 can be a big deal. Where for some people that may have a lot of disposable income, they may buy the games and they're okay playing it for you know, maybe a couple hours and getting their kicks out of it and then they're done with it and, and they're fine with that and that's great for them. But for me, it's like if I'm going to buy something for 60 bucks, I'm expecting to get a certain amount of content out of it. So that also kind of drives how I am very selective in what I'm purchasing because it's like if I'm only going to get five hours of gameplay out of this, I don't want to spend more than like five bucks on it. You know, so if I if I spend full price on a game, I expect a full 60, 70 hour amount of content that I can get out of it. And if I don't think I'm going to get that, I'll just say, skip it. You know, it's not worth it. There's there's other stuff in the list that I'm willing to look at that is going to be a better, you know, cost value for me. At the same time, though, as you kind of grow and age as a gamer, you kind of have a better idea of the types of things that you're going to like. So you can kind of end up finding, I guess, for lack of a better term, like diamonds in the rough, something that isn't a $60 game, but something you enjoy, you know, as though it were. I This certainly has been kind of a, crazy thing to sit and watch but i got in pretty early on the uh, stardew valley craze because i used to play a heck of a lot of the harvest moon games you know when i was younger and that game was like crack to me i mean i have put just a ridiculous amount of hours into stardew valley you know above and beyond the i think god like 12 or 15 bucks that i paid for it when it first came out since i bought it early so i mean as you kind of grow and learn the types of things that you like you can kind of get a better idea and find these things that you know might stick out a little more to you that you kind of know what you're looking for yeah and, and that was like torchlight 2 for me i picked up torchlight 2 for like five bucks and i played like 190 hours over the course of a couple of years like i got really good value out of that because i knew i like diablo games i think they're fun and this is kind of like a diablo game and sure enough it was a very cheap game that i got a crap load of content out of and and, and that's that's a, a victory for me being able to find that that price point where it's like i usually want to spend about a dollar for every hour of gameplay that's my rule and if i can exceed that awesome and sometimes you do get games like that where you know very well i'm gonna like this style of game the reviews are solid they say it's like this other game i know i like I'm going to hop on this and it's, you know, you, you, you get better at judging that. You can certainly, you know, make really well-informed decisions that pay off in the end. And 
and that that is something that I think kind of comes with age and you you aren't so quick to pull the trigger on every game that you think looks cool and you you kind of really sit and calculate am I actually going to like this or am I just you know buying into the hype train which is you know the craze these days so yeah to answer your question bait I did not purchase uh, no man's sky I, I did not uh, set hop on that one with its 18 quintillion planet Okay, that's the only reason I'm in. <laughs> I've actually heard it's been improving, but I'm I'm still not going to buy it. I'm still not going to buy it. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I'm debating. Yeah. I, I have that's, how you, that's how you burn your brand in a franchise. Best game ever. Yeah, I don't have time for that one. It's the best uh, game ever when rated by when sorted by number of planets. Even Eve is nowhere near <laughs> as good as No Man's Sky if you're ranking by number of planets. I mean, most games only score a one at that. So that point. But- that's right. uh, anyways, um, so right. we're we're kind of running long in time here, almost pushing two hours here. So, um, any closing thoughts on this before we kind of go into uh, shout out? Nope, let's land the plane, nope, man. Let's All right, land the plane, man. All right, I think we're good then. So yeah, we uh, we talked a lot of pretty good stuff here. We we had Justin in talked about his experience at CES, um, all sorts of cool VR stuff and triple screen laptops being stolen and a lot of you know neat stuff going on there. Uh, lots of Nintendo Switch stuff again. Um, go out there and, and check out some of the trailers. The Zelda one, I, I highly recommend. Very, very cool looking. Um, and then we kind of talked a bit about tabletop gaming and, and how communities evolve around that and, and the differences between what you see um, in games that, that kind of force you to have a community versus games that uh, certainly don't and, and, that, and kind of the trends moving forward with that. And then, of course, you know, kind of how... Uh, you know, game habits change and how the industry changes as, as people get older and, and their lifestyle and their life situation changes and, and what kind of games you like to play. And I think that's, you know, a lot as, of good topics. As we become, um, grumpy, as we become grumpy, grumpy, crotchety grumpy old, old gamers that, old yeah. Yeah, that just yeah. bitch about all the kids and how they don't want to get together for a LAN party anymore and how that's lame. <laughs> but uh, yeah, lots of topics to this this week. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good stuff. But let's go into some shout outs here, guys. Um, Zell, are you ready, man? No. You're not ready? Me. Oh my god. Fine, bait. You're up, man. Uh, yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to this history paper. It's pretty easy history paper. So that was cool. So, um, homework. Um, shout out to this, uh, unnaturally colored fancy. Now, I went to the store today and I uh, had fried chicken for lunch, so I'd naturally pick up a soda. I forgot how disgusting shit like Fanta Like that purple man, great Fanta? Uh-uh. It was the most fake looking thing ever almost disgusting but, but you so, drank it anyways i did i did drink you it, yeah you put that disgusting you, you sat there yeah. and commented and thought oh this is disgusting and then I you did. put it in your body congratulations yeah. bait you are a true american it, it, it tastes good it looks bad um and i'd also like to give a shout out to everybody shooting fireworks off on the day before uh barton luther we live in florida right yeah yeah okay uh, fun fact, Bay, did you know that, that orange Fanta in Europe, due to laws against food coloring, is not actually orange, it's natural color of yellow? Um, it, yellow? well, it's not just that. Um, no, 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 it's, it's not just that it's kind of, it's a lot more yellow. So I've had, I've actually had orange Fanta in Europe, thank you. Um, it's good. It is 12% real orange juice. Ew. Yeah, it is actually like, it's fucking delicious. It's actually like orange juice soda because when yeah. when they have something in europe it's it it has the actual flavor of the actual food not like a synthetic flavor that we've marketed based on candy and sugar um do you think i could i could remake that with like oh fucking orange juice and sprite i guess probably right? 
Although Boy. Sprite, Sprite, Although Sprite you, you would probably need actually you would, you'd need like orange juice and like um just like straight carbonated water. There's way water. too like much sugar soda. in anything American. You, 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 you could get like club soda and mix it with juice. It's actually really good. Oh man! Well, damn. And, and then, but yeah, and then if you add vodka, there's a drink. <laughs> yes. Or champagne. Or we, 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 we have to keep it, you know, uh, uh, you know, bait style. He cannot add vodka yet. Smoke a cigarette while I... Uh, you're killing me. Uh, you're killing me. Yeah, no. All right, Jay, you're up, man. Yep, uh, no problem. Uh, I really appreciate uh, Justin from uh, coming over. I highly recommend you guys uh, check out uh, Uh It's... It, it is a a pretty pretty slick website that they have put up. Very uh very very much kind of a one stop shop for a lot of different sort of like uh you know I'm not sure how to describe it, but sort of your uh, your basic electronic gaming pop culture sort of needs. It's pretty good pretty good round out. It's kind of like a little loot crate for uh for your for your internets. Uh, pretty solid. So do appreciate Justin coming on for that. I uh, hope to have him back. It's uh. Total shout outs. Let me see. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to this guy that opened up a comic book store on a military base, like an actual, like no kidding, really nice one down in the, in the little shopping area we have on the base. It's uh, a, a really, really well done uh, kind of thing. It's a guy and his dad that opened it up and uh, it, it is a phenomenal little thing. It's it's public. Can't get to it. It's just for folks on the, on the base where I live at. Uh, otherwise I'd give them a shout out, uh, like by name, but th- those two guys, they're literally doing it as a sort of family business. Uh, the, the dad's retired and the son's probably 30, 35. Um, but they have a lot of fun doing it and they're willing to talk to anybody. They talk to my, my, uh, eight year old, he's got Asperger's. So he, he will talk your face off. Uh, and if it's about something he knows, he likely knows more about it than you do. Uh, so he, he had probably the most in-depth technical discussion about Doctor Who that you could imagine an eight-year-old could possibly have with two guys. And they absolutely loved him and, uh, and were like, and they were trying to get, get me to bring him back to the store. Uh, one, because they, they know I'm going to spend money when he walks in. But uh, it's uh, it, it really good. Two, two guys doing what they enjoy. Uh, and they also have... Apropos of our discussion today, uh, several gaming tables set up where there's a lot of trading card games going on, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm actually pretty sure I saw some guys setting up Catan actually while I was there. That's very popular uh, in in its numerous forms. So, uh, hats off to those two guys, just kind of having a good time, and, and you know, knowing they're not going to make it rich, but having a good time doing something uh, something that other people can benefit from. I'll pass it to Livy. I'll pass it to Livy. <laughs> yeah, you're up, Livy. Passing it. To- um, let's see. I'm totally going to kill her name, so I'm not going to say it. Um, a lady uh, in China or Taiwan actually made a gun that shoots frozen tears. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm intrigued. I am, I am, I am. Tell me more. <laughs> like, basically, she she uh, literally designs a gun to fire her tears. So, you know, you cry, it goes down a tube. I'll link it to you guys. And then it freezes and then it actually shoots a, an ice bullet um i want, I want to some of those <laughs> right? so you know the the whole thing like yeah you know you want you want to see me cry i think i think it was like her reaction to being hurt by her ex-boyfriend but she ever played death 514 
right? I have no clue. Because CCP actually sells a, uh, a thermos that is specifically designed to collect and hold the tears of your enemies. You can actually buy it. So oh, I mean, oh, ammo, ammo right there. Right there. <laughs> okay. All right. And Justin, you got shout-outs, man? Yeah, sure. I mean, first, quick shout-out to Jay. Thanks a lot for uh, plugging the site. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. I had a lot of fun tonight. I had a lot of fun last time. So I can imagine that uh, I'll probably try and stop by at some point. Um just to, I guess, further elaborate on what TechEris is, we are a, a tech site where we cover technology news, tech reviews. Uh, we also do entertainment. We also do pop culture. So we, we cover movies. We cover video games. We cover books. We, I mean, we do a little bit of just about anything. So do please check out the site. Uh, we're, we're working hard to try and you know, make a site that want to check out. Um, I guess my other quick shout-out would be to the people that uh, kept kept me entertained on our flights to and from Vegas. So uh, beginning of CES was a little bit rough, where our first flight out was canceled, and our second flight out was delayed and then rerouted through Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. Um, but the flight between Birmingham and Las Vegas, we ended up sitting with a uh, young man named Luke, who was heading back out to California to go back to school. We chatted about video games, we chatted about movies, we chatted about all kinds of crazy stuff for the entirety of the roughly four hour flight. So that you know, was good and entertaining and kept us busy. And then on the way back, sat next to a nice woman named Shoba. We talked again about enter, you know, technology and entertainment, what kind of that kind of thing. And I was uh, giving her tips and tricks and various different ways of impressing her son with uh, technology and that kind of thing. So shout out to those guys. Don't know whether or not they ever know this even exists, but they're getting a shout out. But thank you guys again for having me on. I appreciate it. I'd you know, love to come back sometime and uh, chat some more. All right. We're glad to have you. And, and yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll give a shout out to Justin for coming on the show. It was good to have uh, someone who's out there in the field and actually getting hands-on experience with this stuff rather than a bunch of you know guys sitting around talking about what they heard <laughs> stuff is like. So we're always glad to have you on with your, your experiences and your insights. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, also, going to give a shout-out to <laughs> – there's actually, um, oddly enough, a lot of like actual conversation on the Dust514 forums about people like talking about ideas rather than just bitching and whining the whole time. So yeah, so everyone who's out there participating in like the threads that are discussing ideas and actual stuff that is meaningful, um, well, as meaningful as it can be for a game that doesn't exist yet, um, shout out to you guys. You know, I, I, I do like to see the communities a little more focused and less rabid and, and screaming and running all over the place. So it's, it's good to see. Um, yeah, so that's my shout out, guys. Uh, just want to thank again everyone for tuning in um, again, either via the stream on Twitch or on a website or getting us on our recording. Um, you know, your, your uh, bandwidth is what keeps us motivated to keep going. So I, I do appreciate the downloads and the likes and whatnot in the comments, of course. So uh, that being said, I hope everyone has a good night and please be safe out there. See ya.